Fun Belt Podcast. Fun Belt Podcast. Fun Belt Podcast. Fun Belt Podcast. It's just a, a great conference that is at a at a point right now where they're I think clearly the best group of five conference in the country. The state of Sun Belt football is the strongest in our history, uh, and we got to continue to showcase uh, what our league is about. This league is insane. Yeah, it might be like one of those eight wonders of the world. <laughs> and you can see just what a great group of five conference it really is. It, it's a big deal. Boy, life is looking pretty good in the Sun Belt these days. Very excited about the Sun Belt. We started the Sun Belt uh, back in '76, and I'm I'm very proud of what has transpired through the years. Regular football season is over, guys. What? And the Sun Belt West finally has a championship team in the Louisiana Lafayette defeated Appalachian State 24-16. I still have blue and gold confetti in my hair, bags under my eyes from the late night of partying and throwing down in Lafayette, Louisiana. It was a great time, guys. Dusty, did you actually throw down in Lafayette, Louisiana? Uh, yes. Yes, I did. Did you have gumbo? I bought some. Does that count? Uh, did you have some jambalaya? I have that all the time at home anyway. Okay, okay. Were you given, were you given free beer? Uh, yes. <laughs> yes, all right. It sounded like you threw down. Now, I will say it was a it was a great showing by the Cajun fans, over thirty one thousand in attendance mm-hmm. at the the championship game. But App State actually had a pretty good showing. There's some videos out on Twitter, pretty hysterical, as Cajun fans were attempting to teach the Mountaineers how to peel shrimp, how to peel crawfish, and eat crawfish. So I like to think that football is always bigger than the game and a little bit of a cultural event for it as well. Yeah, so there was probably an exchange of culture between the two fan bases, right? Definitely. And 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 then, you know, we got a great game. It, it really was. 24-16, Cajuns win. On the outside looking in, it was really another Cajuns game where it looked like they were just kind of toying with the Mountaineers, letting them stick around in the game. Nothing special about it. But then when you start peeling back the layers and looking at it, Levi Lewis was very deserving of the MVP belt. First of all, with his 27-yard pass to Michael Jefferson to get it started on the opening possession, and the Cajuns never looked back from there. But then later on in the second quarter, 56-yard TD run, longest in championship history, third game, I know, but still history. The Cajuns were just on fire. Pun intended, maybe, maybe not. 
you know, watching it from where I was watching, I was watching it from a bar in Jonesboro, Arkansas. And it looked like to me that the Cajuns were going to do the exact same thing they did to Appalachian State when they first met earlier in the year. Cajuns just came out hot. They seem to be overpowering Appalachian State. And then Appalachian State kind of does what they usually do, except when they play the Cajuns, or at least before, which is to settle down on defense. And it, it did kind of become sort of a rock'em, sock'em defense game, which was very entertaining to watch. I think that that was a, something that was nice, uh, nice uh, timing to be on ESPN at that time to, uh, to play that entertaining a game. You're right. The Cajuns, I don't know if they, they didn't quite fill the stadium, but they certainly had a handsome crowd out there. I think I saw the Mac game going on right before the, uh, the uh, Sunbelt game. And that didn't seem nearly as well attended as the Sunbelt game. So good for us. That was nice. And it was just an entertaining game. And I'm glad that you were treated as a brother, Thibodeau, in Lafayette, Louisiana. It's, it's my, I don't know, fifth, sixth, seventh home in, in America. <laughs> did, did, you, did you properly call him UL or did you hold up the, the UL uh, symbol at some point just to ingratiate yourself with the Cajun nation there? No, uh, foreign co- cultures uh, scare me. And so I was not willing to adopt the local means. Okay. Um, it, 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 was, uh, it was a very politically correct outing and, and, no. and very fun. What, what, one other thing I got to bring up while we're kind of talking about this Sunbelt Conference championship game. In the fourth quarter, Monty Bailey gets his 35-yard touch, rushing touchdown. It happened right there in front of me. We had a good picture of it on our Twitter as well. The best part was there was a staffer for the, the conference office that was standing right by the table where the championship trophy was, the MVP belt was, and she was like full bodyguard, making sure that the trophy didn't get knocked off or anything like that. And I said, what would have even been better is if he just walked over, grabbed the trophy, like, hey, this is going to the sideline with me. And she goes, yeah, that would have been pretty bad too. <laughs> She was doing her That's job. That'd be a boss move. <laughs> I mean, at, at that point when it's 24-10, pretty much midway through the fourth quarter, yeah, you can pretty much go ahead and, and, and snag it and go ahead and start look, looking for its home. Yeah, and I think the biggest thing that, you know, takeaways, and we talked about it really with Jay Walker, right, last week, you know, we talked about specifically this game wasn't going to be a blowout. We could kind yeah. of universally agree on he that. Right. Um, what, one of the stats that, you know, I dropped last Tuesday when we talked about this was, uh, you know, App, App State's inability to convert third downs in that first meeting and really just get behind the eight ball. Same issue happened, uh, you know, in the championship game as well. They were four for 15, uh, which is, again, a very unapp-like uh, stat and I know Dustin, you had a great shot of Chase Bryce there post game. Um, you know, kind of obviously being disappointed there, but um, you know, I'm interested to see how it fuels him and obviously the guys that are returning back for that Mountaineer squad uh, because they uh, certainly should be the the favorite to, to repeat in the East. Uh, you know, I know they have some losses on both sides of the football, but uh, you know what what is interesting to me now. Um, is, is, you know, obviously Billy Napier rides off into the sunset. He's already been introduced uh, in Gainesville as the University of Florida coach. Uh, Jay Walker, you know, talked specifically about how many guys, seniors and even super seniors, will be exiting the program there in Lafayette. The news today that uh, there's an internal promotion, as Jay predicted, uh, there will stay on the staff to, uh, to be the new head coach. So, uh, How do we pronounce that name? 
Ben uh, Moore. I'm going to let Dusty, the, the, the gentleman right. who has the E-A-U-X in his name, uh, make sure <laughs> to educate us. He's the 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 Cajun uh, Cannon. Well, no, not the Cajun Cannon. Sorry, that that will forever be Bobby A. Bear. But he was definitely the Cannon of the Cajuns. How about that for Michael okay. DeZormo? DeGiorno, like the pizza, but it's well, that's DeGiorno. Yeah, yeah, but it's close. It's a little bit different. A little bit How how do we kick Jeremy out again? <laughs> no, I'm just trying to pronounce just it. Cut his mic. Cutting. Zormo, right? The Zormo. The Zormo. Zormo. We got it. The Zormo. More the times Zormo. throughout the weeks, and we'll, we'll we'll have it locked in for sure. But so yeah. he's been on the staff for six years. Was co-offensive coordinator this year. I think he 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 knows the X's and O's. That's without a doubt. I don't think Napier would have had him on staff or anything like that if he wasn't a good, solid X and O's guy. But I feel like the Cajuns got to be happy with this hire, that they're hiring one of their own. He has had the interim head coach position when it was transitioning from Hudspeth to Napier. So he's at least had the title, had a title in the high school when he was coaching uh, a local high school there in Lafayette, guided them to the state semifinals. But the guy's a player. He knows the X's and O's is the biggest thing. And I think that's one of the things that Napier really brought to the table was he knew the X's and O's. You're not going to see a big fall off of this Cajun team overall. I think next year you do see a dip because of the talent. They got to reload and restock. But over the long haul, I think that the Cajuns are still going to be one of the top teams in the Sunbelt West. Yeah, absolutely. You know, a lot of times you think of it when uh, a program promotes from within, it's it's almost like a, a punt. You know, like you're not really focused. Uh, you're not really trying to make a big splash or you don't want to go through the the rigors, the, uh, the the slings and arrows of a coaching search. But this did seem like a really good good idea, a really good good promotion. You know, some guys actually do deserve that promotion. And this guy really does seem to to fit that bill. And if anybody can make that, or if any program can make that a success in the Sun Belt, it's absolutely the Cajuns who seem to be as buttoned down as any program in the nation. Well, and, and I think too, I think more and more athletic directors, especially at programs that are not going backwards, right? Not looking for a reset, looking for someone to take that baton, really run with it. Um, you're seeing more uh, around the country. You're seeing some internal promotions at successful programs. Saw it obviously last week with Notre Dame, uh, you know, obviously lo- locally here uh, with us in the Sun Belt. But you want to just be able to identify that individual that can put the plan together. Because when you really are the CEO, it's one thing when you're a position coach. And I know he was the tight ends coach before that, before being co-OC. Um, you, you have to literally plan everything. You, you've got to be in charge of the practice schedule and game schedule, uh, where you stay, what you eat, uh, strength and conditioning. Um, recruiting, obviously, you know, that that being uh, immediately flipping here now for the Cajuns with uh, signing day being 10 days away and, and uh, evaluating the roster. You know, who, who does he think uh, needs to stay potentially or go? Where, where uh, are the holes in the lineup now specifically with that early signing period? And then where to attack in the transfer portal? So, um, you know, it's good to have that idea as opposed to going outside the family, if you will, uh, just because then, uh, time just gets so short. You, you have to identify things so, so quickly, and it's almost unfair 
for a brand new coach to walk in and even be hired, you know, tomorrow, for example, and say, all right, I know nothing about the roster. I'm just learning of this job probably in the last three, four, five days. Um, so I, I definitely think the Cajuns, like you mentioned, may take a slight dip uh, just because the talent is exiting. My goodness, Levi Lewis and his 33 and five sparkling record as a starting quarterback. Uh, I speak on behalf of uh, most of our Sun Belt brethren. Uh, we wish him well in his next professional efforts and I'm uh, looking forward to see him hurt somebody else in the future. Oh, yeah, definitely. Adios, Levi Lewis. Have a great career somewhere else that's not destroying us. That's great. <laughs> I think it's as important as it is that the Cajuns now have their head coach in Michael DeZormo. They lost their defensive coordinator, Tommy, and the recruiting. He's not the, officially the recruiting coordinator. He's the running back coach, Jabbar Jaluk. But he has Louisiana on lockdown as far as knowing the ins and outs of recruiting the state. Both of those guys followed Napier to Florida. And I think those are two super huge key positions that will have to be filled. And to me, they might even be more important than who the head coach was that they hired. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, like at Arkansas State, we lost our head recruiter uh, a couple years ago, a guy named Trooper Taylor. Uh, we, you know, and they tried that. Yeah. The, with the towel, tried to, you know, appease him with, by giving him promotions to a co-offense coordinator. He wanted to go off somewhere else, which is fine. Everybody has that right. But we saw a huge dip in recruiting. When you lose that guy, when you lose that guy who can really connect with players and players and, and prospect families, when that goes out the window, it's hard to replace that guy. So yeah, yeah, that might be the biggest loss the Cajuns could possibly have. A little bit more coaching news there. ULM lost their offensive coordinator in yes. Rich Rod taking the head coaching job at FCS or transitioning up of Jacksonville State. But I think it's an addition by subtraction that the Warhawks are going to get Matt Kubiak back. He left the Warhawks to go to Southern Miss, was kind of an unofficial maybe head coach and waiting there at Southern Miss before just kind of everything falling apart there. Good to have him back on the bayou think that you will see the Warhawks offense really not miss a beat under Kubiak. And I think you'll see more tweaking and tuning up the quarterbacks, especially Chandler Rogers next year, as you have uh, another solid quarterback coach coming in. Yeah. Warhawks are definitely a program on the rise. Uh, seems like they've got all the elements there. Now they just need to put it all together. Thibodeau, are they going to put it all together? With duct tape, shoestrings, Gorilla Glue, and everything uh -huh. else that we oh, have. Whatever it takes. Yeah. Whatever yeah. it takes. And, and, and that is true. It, it is almost a whatever it takes. But our next guest coming in is another guy that is new to the Sunbelt Conference. He took over the storied program, Ben's uh -huh. beloved Georgia Southern Eagles. Oh, wow. Head coach Clay Helton. Welcome in, Coach. Hi, guys. How are we doing? Great. So you become the 11th full-time coach of Georgia Southern, the storied program, historical. Tell me how that kind of came about uh, this year, and, and what was the reason for taking that job so early in the year to kind of get, I guess, you in as maybe a consultant for, for this season? Yeah, well, how, how it came about, obviously, uh, I had uh, – I was out uh, after the second game at USC and was uh, 
uh, around the house and have the opportunity to kind of self-reflect, uh, you know, after 12 years uh, at USC about, you know, um, one, my time at USC, uh, two, trying to uh, look at myself and, and things that we did really well and things where uh, I could grow even as a head coach and try to get better. Uh, and, you know, had the opportunity to have a phone call uh, from Jared Benko and, uh, and uh, what was supposed to be about a 10-minute conversation turned into over an hour uh, and really uh, saw a, a unbelievable vision of what him and Dr. Kyle Morero uh, wanted at Georgia Southern. Um, that one phone call turned into uh, kind of a two-day meeting in Atlanta with him and his search team. Uh, being able to look at uh, is Georgia Southern, am I a fit for Georgia Southern for them? And is Georgia Southern fit for me? And it just absolutely ended up being the perfect fit for both of us. Um, you know, things that really attracted me uh, as far as Georgia Southern goes was one was the vision uh, of of Jared and, and Dr. Marrero of just wanting this elite platinum standard uh, opportunity for the football program, not only to be Sunbelt champions, but to, to be that platinum standard in college football, uh, to be talked about, be the national story, uh, to be the Cincinnati uh, of, of college football, and to look up and where everybody says, wow, that, that is a terrific football team and a terrific football program. And I had looked at, you know, several factors of what Georgia Southern was about, the tradition of excellence uh, that, that had, had gone on here, six national championships, joins the FBS in 2014, already won three bowl games. So that standard of just being a winning product was there. Uh, you talk about guys that had come back to help the program, Adrian Peterson, uh, Tracy Ham, you know, even, even Coach Whitley, who was the interim head coach here. It just was an extremely strong product, you know, and then you talk about the Georgia recruiting base uh, and, and just the talent that is in the state of Georgia and the surrounding states. You know, you could build a, a championship and a consistent championship football team here. So it, it was something that started with just an initial conversation with Jared and really turned into a very exciting opportunity. And when given the opportunity, Jared said, Coach, do you want the job? I said, I'll walk from California. I feel like I feel like I've won the lottery because I really feel like this this, this place is is a gold mine. It's really a place that can explode on the national scene. So, very excited to be here. Very excited to get started uh, and to be able to have the three weeks you talked about. You know why take the job early? Uh, it really gave me a time to evaluate our players, to evaluate our the staff, to be able to see the 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 needs of the football team. Um, what the strengths were, but what obviously where were the areas of growth and what were some needs and get some early recruiting uh, going uh, with about a month and a half left uh, prior to signing date. So, you know, it, it was something that usually you get these jobs in December and you walk in kind of blind and you're going, you got about a week and a half to go sign the class. I was really able to identify what was a good fit staff wise, what was a good fit for as far as our players, where the, where our team needed help and be able to go address those needs. So not only was it the right decision for myself, but Jared's proactiveness in getting me here has really gave us a jump start in recruiting as well as building relationships with our football team. Now, Coach, I know uh, you, you have probably had, had it mentioned and seen it and you mentioned names, uh, obviously legends down south. 
uh, you know, Tracy Ham and Adrian Peterson, guys like that. Uh, they, of course, ran the triple option or some variation of it. Uh, that doesn't sound like it will be your, uh, your practice there. I've, I've got many uh, press clippings and, and video interviews with you specifically talking about that mm-hmm. in your style. Um, how is the the uh, so far the, the 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 feedback from like like I like to say the old guard uh, there, which is used to growing up in the Eric Russell and, and triple option uh, versus the kind of the pro style that you're going to run. Well, I, I hope what we do is we we represent what Georgia Southern is about, which is a, a, a toughness and a discipline that wins championships. You know, I hope that people see an offense that can run the ball physically. Uh, maybe not in a dive option style, uh, but runs the ball physically and takes advantage of what I think are some nice skilled wideouts here and be more explosive down the field and attack every inch of grass in the passing game and complement uh, a very physical run game. Every day I, I, every day I go to bed, I, I look up and I, I say, Coach Russell, I hope I made you happy today. You know, and, and every day I, I want to represent uh, and honor the tradition that is Georgia Southern, while also fighting like heck to be innovative uh, in the way we recruit, in the way we develop our players, and the product that we put on the field. You know, so um, even though my my background is not dive option, I do think that you can produce an offense that is physical, that can run the ball and be explosive uh, in the passing game down the field. And so we'll be a balanced offense. We'll be you know more pro style offense. Uh, but I've been very successful in my 26 years of, of having the ability to run the ball and, and being very successful of producing some really quality receivers and, and threats on the outside. You know, so uh, I, I look forward to hoping I'm hoping a lot of wins and a lot of points makes everybody happy in, in Eagle Nation. Well, that certainly will make uh, people happy in Eagle Nation. I, I've noticed that you being a new citizen of the Sun Belt recruited a, a, a well-practiced hand of the Sun Belt with Ryan Applin to come join your staff. How did you get to know Ryan Applin? Well, I, I've known I've known Ryan for uh, a, a while. For one, if you if you recall, I, I had a very short stint uh, going from the University of Memphis uh, to Arkansas State uh, yes. University. And, uh, and at that time, Ryan was the quarterback, and I was there for six weeks. So that was my first introduction to Ryan, and and being and, and knowing how talented he was, not only as a player, but really as a person. And you kind of knew that he had those leadership qualities that he was going to be a phenomenal coach if he chose to. And then you know he actually got to work with my brother at one point in time, um, you know, uh, for a short stint, and and saw you know, how well, how good a job he did for a family member of mine. Um, obviously, he has a long history with, with Arkansas State, has done a fabulous job there. He's known as an elite recruiter uh, in the Southeast, as well as tremendous uh, position coach. And so to be able to acquire that level of talent and to bring, bring it to South Georgia, it was an opportunity that I, I could, really couldn't pass up. Uh, he's just a uh, tremendous character, knows how to develop kids, uh, cares for kids, um, is brutally honest with them, really dives into to them and, and is, you know, lists their strengths, but also lists their area of growth for them. And then he can recruit like I've never seen. He, 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 he doesn't like it. He doesn't love it. He lives recruiting. And so uh, to be able to gain that asset, asset here at Georgia Southern, I think is a big win for us. Well, Coach Helton, uh, we really love uh, 
uh, Ryan Applin here in Jonesboro, Arkansas. So you mm-hmm. take good care of him, okay? I, we definitely, we definitely will, and we're very, we're very proud to have one of Jonesboro's sons right here with us. He's going to do a, f- a fabulous job. Coach, have you already kind of shifted gears to the 2022 season and in that September 3rd debut that you're going to have against Morgan State? And what what are some things that maybe we can expect out of the new look Eagles under your? Yeah, you, you know, right now it's really about recruiting. We've got about a week and a half left uh, in, in this recruiting cycle, and you know, really putting our team together. I think that's the first thing that you do. Uh, you know, before preparation of the season is addressing the needs that you have. And so we have two needs right now. We've got to put a, uh, a team together, uh, personnel-wise, and we're finalizing a coaching staff also. You know, so um, that's going to primarily take up my month of December. And then as we turn the page and our kids come back on January 10th, we're going to begin, um, we're going to begin the opportunity of really building our culture uh, uh, implementing our systems, uh, having the opportunity to practice those systems uh, over our spring training camp, uh, and then, you know, have two eight-week strength and conditioning cycles, um, the one that starts in January and works through middle of March, and then another one over the summer uh, to physically prepare, you know, for a season. So there's a lot of work uh, to be done. Uh, you know, it's uh, I literally wake up before the sun and I, I go as hard as I can until I can't keep my eyes open anymore. And that's usually what happens, you know, when you're starting a program. It's can you win that day? Can you win the day and get get that much further ahead and improve, you know, even if it's 1% each and every day? And so um, just finding like heck right now to be able to uh, produce uh, what I what I hope is an extremely talented team. Uh, produce a staff that can support and develop that team. And then when we get to January, then we're going to implement not only our culture, but our systems. You were an Auburn guy before you you transferred to Houston when you were a player and played for legendary Pat Dye. What are some things that Pat Dye really instilled in you that you bring to Statesboro? Oh, my goodness. Um, Coach was like having a second dad. Uh, I swear, my 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 father Kim Helton's my hero and my mentor. But to actually get to play for one of the legends of, uh, of college football, um, Coach Dye was always one that told it exactly like it was. There was, you know, there was no falseness in Coach. He knew exactly how he felt. He was always honest and sometimes brutally honest, but you always respected him uh, for that. Uh, he had a genuine care uh, about his players. And I've always thought the greatest gift you can give somebody is, is, is your time. He was always willing to sit down and talk with you and, and you know, try to help each individual uh, on, on the football team. And uh, he was just one of those special souls. You know, he was firm, uh, but he was fair. Uh, and he, he surrounded us with coaches that could develop us. And, you know, he, he was he was hard on us, but you knew he loved he loved us very much. You know, so um, he's he's one of those guys that you can't meet the man and not take away some tools to put in your tool belt. And he made me not only a better coach for later in life, but he made me a better man and a better husband and a better father. And uh, and God bless his soul. Uh, he's one of the more special people that have been in my life. 
Coach, uh, full disclosure, uh, I'm a Georgia State man. Uh, from, I went to school in the school in Atlanta. I know you're getting acquainted to all the rivalries that Georgia Southern has uh, between Appalachian State and, of course, Georgia mm-hmm. State and the rivalry there, mm-hmm. uh, the fight over the acronym and all that good stuff. Um, mm-hmm. I, I would be remiss. Uh, you know, you've been a part of great, uh, as, as uh, Jeremy mentioned, and Dusty mentioned uh, some rivalries in sports. To me, it's what makes college football great. Um, you know, what, what have you learned uh, from being in Statesboro in your short time there about uh, about your rivals? And uh, obviously, the games are, are probably a little bit more important than, than the rest. Well, I have really realized, how, you know, it's one of the reasons I took the job is how strong this conference is across the, uh, across the board. You think about the job that Commissioner Commissioner Gill and our presidents have done, you know, in, in their time here. You know, while other conferences have been breaking up, our conference has become stronger. Uh, and there's that that sense of tradition in those rivalries that have spanned years and years, and bringing in even more new talent. So one one of the one of the great advantages of taking this job, when I looked at it, I was like. Oh my gosh, you, you look at great rivalries across the board. You look at these great teams, top 25 teams. You look at the strength of the Sunbelt and it's just getting stronger. You know, so there's this tradition of excellence. There's this traditional rivalries. Uh, there's great coaches that, that are being brought in across the board. Uh, and the commissioner, his leadership has done an exceptional job. The presidents of our university's leadership has done a great job. And then you look up and you have those fierce rivalries that make college football so fun. Uh, it, it's it's a pretty neat time, you know, to be in the Sun Belt and be a part of it. So it was one of the more exciting things uh, that uh, coming into this conference was knowing how fierce the competition is, but how fun the rivalries are too, you know. And so we're very fortunate to have some great schools in the state of Georgia, and we love competing against each other. That's not a bad thing, you know. So uh, I, I look, I, I'm very fond of our conference and the strength of our conference right now across the board, across all teams. Coach Hilton, um, you coming into Statesboro, uh, yeah, there's there's sort of a fascination with me about some of the, the, the cultural aspects of uh, Georgia Southern. And the one I wanted to ask you about, have you dipped a toe in beautiful Eagle Creek yet? I will be baptized this spring at some point in time. I'm going to be baptized in Eagle Creek, uh, and I will go fully under. (laughs) I've been told that. So, yes, you know, that's like I said earlier, you know, I believe in honoring all the traditions uh, that have been part of this great university. And Eagle Creek is one of those traditions. And um, I look forward to it. I'm going to honor and represent that tradition. And uh, I look forward to, you know, getting a bath in Eagle Creek in my time here. Coach, we cannot thank you enough for joining us here on Funbelt Podcast. We wish you the best of luck and hope to uh, be able to talk to you again in the fall as we get ready for the 2022 season. Anytime, guys. Thank you so much for having me in Hale Southern. Uh, thank you, Coach. Really enjoyed it. Uh, great job, guys. How are you? So there it is, guys. Another great guest of the Fun Belt Podcast. As we've seen in the past, you come on the Fun Belt Podcast, great things happen. So my bold prediction, Sun Belt Championship, the second G5 in the in the playoff next year, and they're national champions. Georgia Southern? 
Yeah. Did I go too far? No, I, I think you're spot on there, Thibodeau. <laughs> he's got a, he's got a he's got definitely got a, a job to do there, but I think he also recognizes that there's also that those those expectations are are on his head. He understands that Georgia Southern isn't like one of those one of those programs that is content with uh, going to a bowl game at the end of the season. They want to see championships. And he seems to have accepted that. So he's not in here to draw like uh, for some peace after having come from the high uh, profile place of California. He's he's here to actually win some games. So that's very exciting to hear that from him. Yeah. And and I don't know what the the expectations are for the Eagles next year, because they just did not look good this year. And, And I don't know if it was a coaching or a talent issue to be able to say, because you knew the pressure was co- was on the coaching staff coming into the year, but you just don't know how much of that was, well, we're going to be fired anyway, so screw it. Or, <laughs> you know, did they just miss on recruits, which happens. It's going to happen every cycle that you're going to miss on kids. I, did I'm it finally catch up to them? Yeah, I'm kind of curious what Ben has to say about this, but I feel like he'll have enjoy a, a at least a year honeymoon period. Uh, you know, bringing in his system, bringing in his guys, figuring it all out. I think he'll have at least that year. Or am I insane to think that, Ben? You know that fan base better than I do. Are they going to want to see results and, and, and improvement on day one? Yeah, it really, you know, honestly, and we say it all the time, uh, really, in, in especially with football, and he, he addressed it specifically. The next three weeks, I believe, dictate the next three years uh, of his coaching tenure there in Statesboro. Uh, comes down to staff. Uh, comes down to his recruiting ability. As we know, um, you know, he identified it. We talked about it many, many times, and we'll talk about it moving forward. Um, the early signing period, uh, as we're cutting this podcast on Sunday the 5th, is 10 days away. So uh, he, he has to be uh, looking at the roster, figuring out who needs to stay, who needs to go. Um, also identifying, because there's so much talent in the transfer portal now, how many guys that he can bring in to help him. Um, you know, on the offensive and defensive side of the ball. I can tell you because I know that roster pretty well. Um, they do, don't have a pro-style quarterback. And, uh, you know, he's not going to go out and bash, obviously, any of the kids that are there. Uh, but that wasn't the offense that they were going to run. Um, they do have a few uh, wide receivers there. They need many, many more. Um, they also need offensive linemen that know how to pass block because that has not been something that they have been uh, forced to do in the last few years. They haven't, uh, it's not been a really a, a function of their game. And as we talked about all season, um, it, you know, in, in each week, uh, when, when you force the Eagles to pass, things got ugly in a hurry, uh, whether it be sacks or turnovers or just poor quarterback quarterback play because that wasn't them and uh, I think that's going to be the identifier there what Ryan Applin and and uh, and he's going to have to look at and find a quarterback uh, find offensive lineman that can help them whether that's from the high school ranks from Juco or even the transfer portal so um, there's a lot of work obviously to be done to this roster and reshape it um, I'm very interested to see how many I think at last check there was only five or six guys uh, from Georgia Southern's program that were in the portal as of now. Um, that could obviously increase uh, either now in December when uh, the, the you know semester ends here in the next week with finals or in January um, as or even in the spring as guys continue to move on that way. So um, it's a delicate balance, obviously, roster management. Um, the NCAA makes you get back to 85. Um, expectations are always super high in Statesboro. They, they don't, just don't want to bowl. They want to compete for championships. Um, and as you heard 
Um, you know, he, he understands those and, and to his credit are embracing those expectations um, there. But um, as we've talked about, too, and I think Chris Vanini talked about it specifically, uh, the Sunbelt East is a bloodbath every single year and year. stronger as well. So things are certainly not easier uh, there. You, you look at, um, you know, still Coastal Carolina it looks like for now, at least Jamie Chadwell will be there, um, you know, post um, you know, jobs there. You'll have Grayson McCall come back, uh, one of the best quarterbacks uh, in the nation, much less than the Sun Belt. So, um, you know, you have App State, as we talked about a little bit earlier, playing in the Sun Belt championship, representing the East as uh, Georgia Southerns. If you talk to them, their chief rival, the ones that they actually can beat on Saturdays. And then uh, you have Georgia State, of course, who uh, who's knocked off the Eagles five of the last seven meetings. Uh, you know, <laughs> Had to put that in Lakers. there, didn't you? He always oh, has to slip I'm, that in. I'm a GSU man. What do you want me to say? Come on. I, you, know, you could We're be playing a little the bit. Ball uh, sitting at home, so there fact. you go. <laughs> I, you know, you did hear Clay Helton say, too, that uh, he had spent about six weeks with the Arkansas State staff. And we're not too, we're not beneath uh, claiming Helton as part of the Arkansas State coaching tree. So if you ever talk to somebody from Arkansas State, we'll always throw his name in there as one of the many distinguished coaches coaches that have come through Arkansas State. But uh, that was a great in- interview, Dusty. Uh, that that was a. It looks like Georgia Southern might be having uh, uh, some good things coming its way. Yeah, I mean, I, I think he's the right guy to to write the ship and, and and get things going. I'm interested to see how long the leash is and how long they give him to do it because I don't think that this is a one or two year fix. This is at minimum a three year, but he could always kind of have the lightning strike and maybe get to that six, seven wins next year to go to a bowl game. But it's, it's kind of, I tie it back almost to ULM this year with, with four wins when there was no expectation next year, if ULM's at two or three wins, have they really progressed? Probably because they shouldn't have had four wins this year. Uh, that's a good and, point. And, and so I think you just have to make sure that you have those realistic expectations to know where your program's at in that rebuild and in that build up of a program. Well, well, we, and, it, and it comes down to schedule too, guys, right? Like we talk about all the time, you look ahead to the schedule and see how tough it is and how is it. I mean, they've got a road trip at Nebraska, uh, certainly knowing that they you know, may or may not, it sounds like may at this point bring Scott Frost back. Um, that's a That's a dangerous game. Uh, potentially to kind of surprise uh, the Cornhuskers just because you don't have much film on what the Georgia Southern offense and defense will be. Uh, You won't know. It won't look like the 2021 version. Um, They've got a good game against UAB the following week um, where, you know, proximity is is huge. I mean, the the drive from Statesboro to Birmingham is a very short one. That should be a very, uh, you know, bipartisan crowd there. And then you host Ball State who, uh, you know, is in the Camellia Bowl this year. And, um, you know, it doesn't look overwhelming. It, it looks like there, there are winnable games on the schedule, but then it also uh, depends on, hey, that's what September looks like. What does the Sunbelt slate look like? You know, we, we know they, they have to, um, you, know, you know, they've got to come up to Atlanta to play Georgia State. They've got games against App State, in, you know, on the east side of things. You're going to have Coastal Carolina, as we mentioned, um, you know, they, they've got to go to Arkansas State. they got to go to Louisiana in 2022. So it's not going to be easy. Um, and I agree with Dusty 100%. It's going to take him some time. Speaking of Ball State, do we want to go ahead and discuss the slate of, of postseason play, bowl play for the Sun Belt? Without a doubt. 
it all gets started with the tell greeter, which I have no idea what that is, Cure Bowl, <laughs> where Coastal Carolina goes against the MAC champion of Northern Illinois. If Coastal has all their players, I think this is another easy win for the Sun Belt over the MAC. I have not heard if any of the standout seniors, likely and such, uh, Javion Hiley, are going to hold out for you know the Senior Bowl or anything like that. I haven't heard that they would. As long as they have the normal Coastal Carolina team, they they pin up the dogs easily. I watched a little bit of that uh, NIU versus Kent State game that preceded the Sun Belt Championship uh, on Saturday, and NIU looked good. Uh, they they made short work of Kent State. Kent State, uh, I think, came in with what was a seven and five, uh, and then uh, NIU came in at eight and four. So neither of them really tore up the uh, the league. But NIU had zero wins last season. Came back with an eight and four and a MAC championship the next. Uh, I don't think they're dog food, but you're right, uh, Dusty. It, it doesn't seem like a game that should sweat Coastal Carolina too much, unless they coast. No, no, no pun intended. That was well done. It was, I gave you the pregnant pause just to see that, see that joke land. Um, <laughs> it landed with um, a thud. <laughs> but but I, I, I think it's very interesting as well. And something that we we've talked about previously, um, you know, th- this, uh, is this, potentially Grayson McCall's last game. We, we don't really know the answer to that question. Um, he is draft eligible um, and there's not a, a, a great, uh, you know, quarterback class here in, uh, you know, you know, in college football right now, does he look around and, and at least uh, kick the tires on an opportunity potentially to play at the next level? Uh, we know he did miss some time, uh, got injured, but then did return, come back there. Uh, does he want to kind of spin it back and, and go with some of his weapons potentially leaving as well? We, we've talked about, you know, his unbelievable tight end. Uh, you know, he's, he's a Sunday guy to me, uh, you know, and, and a guy that, uh, you know, was a first time, first team, all, all Sunbelt guy uh, there at tight end. So, um, you know, you, you always want, want to capitalize while the iron is hot. Um, you know, if he has a great bowl performance and, and tears up Northern Illinois, does he, you know, use that as his, you know, punctuation of, hey, you know, 11 wins at Coastal and, and you know, the previous season basically was undefeated in the regular season as well. What else can he accomplish at the college level uh, short of winning a Sunbelt title and, and kind of going bigger and better? So um, I, I think it's going to be interesting to watch, obviously, his decision, but I agree with you guys. I think Coastal certainly is, I uh, haven't seen an early line yet, but I have to imagine they're favored in that ball. One of the more interesting matchups, at least, is Appalachian State, Western Kentucky. Our friend Doug Mosley at the Boca Bowl finally gets a Sunbelt team as they, the Mountaineers head down to Boca for the roofclaim.com Boca Raton Bowl. I think App State is at a fork. They either are pity party, woe is us that we just lost to the Cajuns again, we're not Sunbelt Conference champions, and just kind of go through the motions of bowl week, or do they go out there and fight? to try to get to 11 wins, which is impressive. And, and after watching App State post-game, seeing really the pain in Chase Bryce's eyes, it really is a fork in the road of which way they go with no real answer. I think one thing that gives Bryce a little bit of motivation in this game is being pitted against uh, Bailey Zappi. 
of uh, Western Kentucky. Uh, he is sort of one of these, one of the most prolific passers I've ever seen in college football. The guy just wings it and hurls it and makes plays. I, I'd like, to, I think maybe if, if Bryce is, is feeling a little let down after this game, I know he's coming back for next year. He at least gets to have this sort of mano, a um, mano sort of, of contest with Billy Zapp. Now, I don't know how great of a team Western Kentucky is. I haven't really experienced it much so far as the CUSA championship game, which uh, actually Western Kentucky really made a game of it after uh, uh, getting behind uh, UTSA. Uh, but uh, obviously, I, 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 you're right, Dusty. It is one of the better games, and it will determine. But one last thing about whether you think they'll get up for that game or not: Appalachian State just doesn't seem like that kind of program that allows itself to be deflated. It seems like they'll come in with a very professional mindset, and and I don't know if they beat Western Kentucky, but they certainly will be up for beating Western Kentucky. Yeah, having two full weeks to kind of flush that loss too, I think does help. Um, you know, it's it's not um, you, know, you you do get some time there uh, to kind of reload and, and get back and, and obviously take uh, take some finals. We uh, something that we remind folks all the time that these are student athletes; they do actually have to take finals uh, in December and then get to go uh, to bowls and things like that. But uh, I, I'm I'm very interested to see uh, how they respond to that and and honestly how. Uh, both fan bases travel as well. As we know, uh, uh, up the mountain can be a little bit chilly uh, in, in mid-December, and, and uh, the folks in Western Kentucky as well may want some uh, want some beach, uh, you know, vacation opportunity there. So uh, definitely looking forward to seeing uh, the atmosphere uh, there down the Boca Raton Ball with the uh, with the Sun Belt uh, team represented. Cajuns get to burn the midnight oil as they head down to New Orleans for the RL Carriers New Orleans Bowl eight fifteen kickoff. Make sure you're napping before that game. But they they it's a good matchup, at least, against Conference USA's Marshall, soon to be in the Sun Belt. I still like the Cajuns. I feel like that they're this might be their kind of coming out party to, to showcase that they're the Cajuns and, and are not going to miss that beat under new head coach Michael DeZormo. Or maybe they are a little bit in chaos and, and, and not real sure what to do. I think it's the first. I think they roll and, and get another Sunbelt Conference victory. You know, I, I've been to a, a New Orleans Kate or a New Orleans Bowl when Arkansas State played Louisiana Tech a few years ago, and it's always late. I mean, it, it starts late, it ends late. I mean, literally, when you're done, you can't find a place to eat or drink or anything. Like it's done. It's you're finished. So uh, I don't know why it starts so damn late, but uh, uh, it is a beautiful place to have a bowl. Uh, it's, it's probably the finest venue I've ever been for a small access uh, uh, group of five bowl. And I think I agree with the, the former statement that you made, Thibodeau. I, I, I really think that the team's going to get behind the new head coach and, and they're not going to miss a beat. They're going to want to win this game. Uh, they're going in as a uh, college football playoff uh, ranked team. Uh, I don't think they 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 have any interest in letting people uh, in not, in failing to remind people that that the Cajuns are one of the top teams, not just in the Group of Five, not in Sun Belt, but in all of college football. Uh, I don't think they they let off the gas for Marshall. I think it'll be a nice 
rude awakening for Marshall coming into the uh, Sun Belt, possibly by next season. Well, I think one of the one of the storylines, and I know we uh, we obviously say say zero focused in on and locked in on. Uh, the Sun Belt, but uh, Grant Wells, the Marshall quarterback, was hurt in that Western Kentucky championship game, and he, he's one of the best freshmen uh, and a name that I'd love to see play in this game, but don't know. Obviously, his status as of today, um, exiting last week with that, um, you know, in, in that uh, in that title game. Um, but I, I think the the interesting part now, and you guys, you know, kind of were all over it, is the is the future belt member being able to measure themselves against the champ. You know, to be, how much does that motivate potentially occur for the underclassmen? Because we've heard some conversations uh, about some of the Sun Belt members may uh, be interested in jumping in the Sun Belt sooner rather than later. They may not wait as long as 2023 either. So, uh, could Marshall jump in next year and have some of these guys uh, who, who are on the field uh, here in a couple of weeks uh, be, be facing uh, the same Louisiana Cajun team uh, here, you know, in, in next season potentially. So um, pre- pretty interesting matchup. I know as soon as it popped out there and was reported, I said, Ooh, this, that's going to be a good one. And we uh, definitely have to sit down and watch. And I agree with you, Dusty, you got to get a disco nap, man. You got to, got to get a power nap in the middle of the day for that one. <laughs> Jeremy, you know what the best Christmas present we could get Ben is? Well, maybe like a bottle of, beautiful eagle creek uh water well they make a cologne or or some yeah yeah or or maybe like a miniature bus from georgia southern one of those school buses that that that's not too maybe big enough where he can drive it around with his head poking out of the top you you know what i think would be even better no what a trip to montgomery alabama whoa are you kidding me oh my god that would be perfect well, his his Panthers are going there at least for the Tax Act Camellia Bowl to face Ball State. Nice. The place that I can only think of, good old Dave Letterman wanting to have the stadium renamed after him. Huh. You know, okay. First of all, I, I've been to a Camellia Bowl. It was a couple of years ago, and it you know is a very gracious city. It was a kind of a lousy day. It was like a, on the twenty third of December, so it was right before Christmas. I believe that it's a little closer to Christmas for this time around, but uh, it's not a bad venue to play football. It's actually pretty cool. I think you're going to enjoy it. I don't think it's going to be a, a, you know, like I, I, we actually played ball state once in a, uh, a, a, um, a, um, a bowl game. It was that at that time it was in mobile. Those fans come out and, and they, they're actually kind of chippy. Or even chirpy, there they they might call themselves chirpy, but uh, I I think that it's going to be a uh, you know a, a fine game, but I, I don't see it as the most exciting game in the world. In fact, I think Georgia State kind of stomps all over Ball State. I don't think Ball State really has much of a chance of this game. And maybe if you don't want to go to Montgomery, at least you have sort of the second uh, sort of the second place prize of probably watching your Georgia State Panthers come away with a with a with a bowl victory to put in their caps. Yeah, and it would be would be an important one. And and um you know what just kind of doing their early scouting for ball state, they don't they don't particularly run the ball uh, well. They don't particularly pass the ball well. They don't score a lot. 
Um, you know, they're they're you know, there's a reason why they were six and six. They did have an impressive win against Army. It ended up finishing eight with eight wins. Um, but they also stumbled a lot in, in, in Mac play as well. We're kind of right there in that middle at four and four in Mac play. So, uh, you know, I, I do believe the Panthers have another opportunity here, um, you know, to to uh, get their rushing game rolling and uh, really pound. And, and the biggest thing that's been impressive, I believe, in the last month for Georgia State is just how well their defense has played, uh, being being able to, to force turnovers. And that certainly, um, you know, Ball State will do that as well. They'll, they'll turn the ball over. And if, if they do that against Georgia State, the Panthers could come up with another uh, another bowl victory. And and uh, and it's good just not to see Western Kentucky in a bowl. You know, we were kind of tired of seeing that <laughs> at Georgia State every time, every other bowl game. It was here comes the, uh, the Western Kentucky. Another Western Kentucky. So it's good to get somebody new for a change. I tell you one thing about Ball State. If, if, if you guys recall, at the beginning of the year, there was some talk amongst a lot of pundits like us that Ball State was in position to maybe crack the top 25, that, that they were going to be sort of the, the darlings of the MAC and that they'd have a pretty good season. And it didn't turn out. So it's not like like Ball State isn't a team that doesn't have a reputation. You know, they 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 they'll come in with maybe a chip on their shoulder, and so uh, you might want to look out for that. That being said, yeah, it seems to me like this will be a perfect win for for Georgia uh, Georgia State. Can we see a clean sweep of Sun Belt bowl games? What? Okay, how about this, Dusty? What bowl game are we most likely to see? A Sun Belt team lose. I'm going to say the Boca Bowl. I, I, I think App State, like I said, they're at the fork in the road, and just depending on which way they decide to go, is is really going to be the determining factor there. Yeah, you know what? Uh, and I or uh, Appalachian State kind of let me down because I picked them to be the Sun Belt champion. I keep all season long. I said they were the most professionally run team in the Sun Belt, and in the end. It turned out the Cajuns were just too good. So maybe I, I just think of the Appalachian State, maybe too high. Maybe I put them too high on a pedestal. And then seeing NIU, what they did at Kent State, uh, those guys aren't, those guys aren't, aren't, uh, aren't pushovers. They're going to be tough. And they, they've been tough for a long time. Uh, we played NIU, Arkansas State played NIU in their first uh, uh, GoDaddy Bowl about 10 years ago, and they just stomped us. So be careful, Appalachian State. I think Dusty and I are both both advising you, be careful with this NIU team. Don't go into it sort of lazily or, or with half a heart. Come in here and bring that cheddar for the Sun Belt. All this talk about football, but it's yeah. basketball season, Jeremy. What is basketball season? It is basketball season. <laughs> oh, okay. Currently, yeah. there's things going on, man. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. On the women's basketball side, what? one team. Which is it? UT Arlington. Okay. UT Arlington with a great named player, Star Jacobs. Yeah. All right. I mean, second place, maybe to Boogie Knight. Maybe, maybe they're 1A, 1B. Star is a great name. Yeah. They had a pair of really big wins beating UNLV on the road. They shot 60% from the floor in the first quarter in that game. But then if that wasn't enough, they played number 13 South Florida and beat them with 40 points in the paint. (laughs) And 
the Mavs 0 for 8 on third point attempts. They weren't even shooting the outside. They were taking it straight to the Bulls. You know, congratulations to the Mavericks on that game. A nice win for uh, the Mavericks and the Sun Belt. But I was actually more impressed with Coastal Carolina's win over South Carolina. Well, that's on the men's side. We're talking women's basketball, Jeremy. Uh, yeah, but I thought maybe that'd make a smooth transition into the men's side. I had one more. I had more. one more women's game. All right. How about this? How about read the show notes, man? <laughs> the, they, the good old Bobcats. Maybe they're a lady Bobcats. We need to figure out okay. who's ladies and who's not. Put it on Arlington Baptist, 93-23. 74 points in the paint, 40 off of turnovers, 54 coming in off the bench. The Bobcats should be arrested for that. Whooping. That's outright assault. <laughs> so, as you mentioned on the men's side, they yeah. did have a big win over South Carolina. Premature mention. 80-54. The bigger, the bigger story, though, once again, if you're on the Fun Belt podcast, big things happen. Cliff Ellis picked up his 800th career win. Wow. And 801 was the South Carolina win. Nice. With SM Mustafa hitting the double-double, 23 points, 13 rebounds. And you know what my favorite take was after that game? It was a headline that pretty much said, I'm probably, uh, I'm probably paraphrasing a little bit, though, but mostly, what's wrong with South Carolina? I'll tell you what's wrong with South Carolina. You got beat by a bigger, better team, Jack. <laughs> Get with it. The team that I still think is the most dangerous in the Sun Belt is South Alabama. And they Absolutely. showed it when they beat the mess out of future belt opponent, Southern Miss, mm. 555, four Jags in double-digit scoring. Yes. Including Auburn transfer Javon Franklin with 22 points. That, I mean, that is a SEC all-star team. But more importantly than that, Coach Ritchie hasn't played. I mean, they are straight-up balling they're not missing a beat. And, and uh, if, if they can stay healthy, because I don't think they're very deep, I think that team is your Sunbelt regular season conference champion and probably going to be at least on the Monday uh, in Pensacola for the championship game. Well, Dusty, you and I both saw a, a bit of that uh, South Alabama-Alabama game. And uh, Alabama ended up winning that game at the end. But South Alabama in that house uh, played toe-to-toe with those guys, uh, with a team that just beat Gonzaga. And they did not look out of place at all. Those guys had the size. They had the speed. They had the basketball acumen. I know that Georgia State right now is the consensus favorite uh, for, and for good reason, uh, for to be the, the Sun Belt champion. But, man, look out for those Jags. Those Jags, they're just a a very good basketball team, defensively and offensively. Uh, I think they're going to be very tough to beat this year. Well, and I'll be honest, I think I may have even undervalued them a touch just because they lost Michael Flowers to Washington State, their leading scorer. And, and, you know, Richie Riley, I think uh, it was probably at the top of the list in terms of bringing in uh, transfers this season. I, I believe the number was either seven or eight 
uh, new basketball players on his roster. And that's obviously enormous. So uh, credit to him and, and getting some, uh, some things to gel. And obviously, like you said, uh, being super competitive here in the non-conference and, and, you know, you still, as you guys talked about Cliff Ellis talking uh, specifically about, um, you know, that, how, how much that, that win against South Carolina, not only helps the coastal program, but I think the Sunbelt as a whole. Absolutely. Continue to, to gain some reputation and continue to grow. And, and it's, it's well needed. I mean, commissioner Keith Gill touched on it when we had him uh, very early talking about basketball needing to improve. Well, how do you do that? You got to have marquee wins. And uh, over the next few weeks before Sunbelt play starts uh, there at first and first January, there's absolutely some matchups uh, that Sunbelt could make some hay and uh, looking forward to, uh, to seeing what the league does here in the next, uh, you know, for the rest of 2021. Well, you said it offline, then. Uh, about a week or two ago because we're kind of bemoaning how maybe the Sun Belt hasn't quite performed in a way we'd like they've been they've beaten the teams that they're kind of supposed to beat but haven't come up with some big wins and you said December it's where it's at Jeremy December the Sun Belt has a lot of great games coming up you watch this is when the Sun Belt's going to take take uh take its big step and so far it could be happening it could be happening One last game to really note from the past week. Scrappy team, the good old Bobcats, down by 12 at the half to Rice. Come back for the win, 80-69. Another instance, another former guest, Terrence Johnson. The Bobcats. Yeah. I like the Bobcats. They're a scrappy team. I could see them being in a C tournament in the postseason. I have seen some internet activity directed at me from San Marcos kind of uh, giving me some what for, because they, they know that I, uh, I have besmirched them on occasion, uh, calling them the boob cats, uh, maybe not putting them in a poll to be among the top Sunbelt basketball teams. They've been a little bit upset about that, but let's face it, the Bobcats are going to be a good Sunbelt basketball this team, this year. Are they going to be as good as Georgia State? Are they going to be as good as, as, as uh, South Alabama? I've seen some great basketball coming from Georgia Southern. I feel like there's a lot of competition for the Bobcats this year. If the Bobcats end up with the title again this year, I'm not going to be surprised, but they seem to have a lot more competition this year than they've had in, in, in days past. None of you are talking about the great basketball game between Arkansas State and UCA, who are now one and nine. Or maybe one in seven. I don't know about that. Went over to Jonesboro, watched them in person play. And a uh, lot of scoring for Arkansas State, at least four guys in double figures. Uh, it was an interesting game to watch. I don't know if they're ready to compete with the Panthers and the Jaguars and the Bobcats of the world, but it was fun. Uh, I believe you, Ben, went and saw your Panthers this weekend. Give us a status. Give us an update. Yeah, still trying to get healthy. Uh, that's the biggest thing, ultimately. Leading scorer, Corey Allen, um, had his nose broken against Northeastern. Uh, Ouch. And uh, that's not ever fun. Um, had a concussion. Uh, missed uh, missed the Rhode Island game. Uh, unfortunately, had the Tennessee State game canceled this Wednesday Ooh. due to COVID and, and injuries and things like that. Still waiting on starting center, Eliel Sasemi, uh, to come back. Uh, he had uh, a knee st strain, had an ACL and MCL strain, so he's still – uh, vigorously trying to rehab that. 
And then, uh, unfortunately, the, the freshman center who was starting in his stead uh, was a part of the close contact proximity, so he couldn't make the trip down to Mercer. Um, no folks around the Southeast may or may not remember the Mercer Bears, but they, of course, knocked off Duke a few years ago in the NCAA tournament. Very solid SOCON team. Uh, they're very, very large, had, had three guys over 6'8". Um, so when the Panthers were out without two of their uh, their center uh, rotation guys, the credit to the Bears, it just hammered them inside. Uh, 36 points uh, in the paint, uh, really attacked the free throw line and, and got some calls there. Um, really, really nice venue down there at Hawkins Arena, but a short, short trip down to uh, Macon. And that was the 87th matchup between the two programs, uh, the wow. most uh, the Panthers have played. So uh, they, they are definitely rivals. Uh, in the last 30 years, the Panthers do own a 32 and 10 mark against the uh, the Bears. So, so they they had their day on Saturday, and uh, you know, as as the great Lefty Drizel said, uh, who who's about to celebrate his 90th birthday here at, uh, on Christmas Day, uh, good teams win on the road. So, uh, you know, that was that was a tough loss, and and uh, Coach Lanier will have to uh, reload tomorrow night against NAI foe Voorhees College, which is in Denmark, <laughs> South Carolina. If you were, uh, you need, need to know. Tell me uh, they come uh, out wearing hockey masks, please. That would be, that would be amazing. But the Panthers just need to get back to on the winning, winning stead. Uh, you know, obviously uh, need to get healthy. And uh, Corey Allen uh, was so despondent wearing that mask uh, with his broken nose that he, uh, he missed a couple shots and threw it like a Frisbee to the trainer <laughs> on the sidelines. And then after that hit back-to-back threes. So uh, he, he don't need no stinking mask, uh, but I, yeah, I definitely expect the Panthers to uh, to try to build some momentum and, and pick it up a little bit before some uh, non-conference matchups on the road against Mississippi State. And uh, locally here in Atlanta, the, uh, the downtown versus midtown action against Georgia Tech. And uh, the Jackets are uh, struggling just a smidge uh, over there on North Avenue. That, that trade school, as we say here in the South. Dusty, have you seen some Sunbelt basketball? Other than the, the the team that we both agree is 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 pretty dangerous, South Alabama. Have you seen any guys that stuck out? No, I I've really made it a point to start watching more South Alabama basketball just because I really like the Jags. I really like how they're playing and, and gelling. Uh, a local kid here from Houston on the team there that transferred in from Texas AM. So big fan of JJ Chandler as well and, and seeing him continue to succeed. Other than that, it's it's game on, game on. Now we play the way game for bowl games. Did any of you see the coastal game? I, I did watch a little bit of the of the South Carolina game. What was it about that game? Is coast? Listen, I kind of here's I put Coastal Carolina aside because you know they lost their big guy. Yeah, the coach was kind of like, yeah, we're we're kind of getting things put together. I don't know if it's going to be our year. Are we going to worry about Coastal Carolina? I think they're always sneaky. I mean, I think Damn uh, it. <laughs> I think Cliff Ellis is always a good coach. He's going to squeeze every bit of talent he can out of what he has on the roster. They may not be the most talented team, but he's going to make sure that they are the better team on the floor. Did you see that Appalachian State beat Boyce by about 70 points? I think Boyce had like uh, 28 points at the end of the at the end of the game. There was some game, I forget which one I was flipping through, but I was cheering more for the unnamed, unlogoed school because <laughs> at about the 18-minute mark of the second half, they were at 40 points. I was like, come on, guys, you can get to 50. You can get to 50. Moral <laughs> victory. Moral victory. Uh, I think if you have 
in the closing minutes still haven't scored 30 points. I, I feel like there should be like a whistle or something to just let let that team quietly walk off the court and get back on the bus and running clock. Maybe reassess their lives. <laughs> and the worst thing about it, guys, you know, the 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 non-division ones, um, I've heard payments in some cases are two and three grand for some of these schools. It's not a lot. You know, a lot of times Sunbelt level schools, when they go and play a, a high major opponent uh, locally, they're getting paid 50, 60, $70,000 to show up and, you know, play an SEC, ACC, Big Ten school. Uh, these non-D1s, they, they don't have the leverage there. And uh, it's, it's very much like a, a barnstorming tour where a lot of these NAIA schools and, and Division II schools, they, they jump up and play a D1 school uh, with only, you know, one night's rest or two nights, yes. rest. They're, they're playing four games in a week. You know, they're playing the NBA type schedule for some of those guys, but uh, it is the grind and uh, we appreciate their patronage and Sunbelt teams are certainly hammering them this year. Yeah, I think we get to have championship Baptist or champion Baptist like some of you guys have already played them to finish out our non-con. So I keep seeing champion Baptist appear on our uh, on the schedules i'm like who are these guys why do they want this punishment where do they come from what's their motivation but uh but yeah uh, i'll be looking forward to uh the next couple of weeks when conference play begins and we can really begin to to, to drill down as to who's going to be the champion plugs promos parting shots what you have jeremy well, Hellraiser.com revealed its first ever Sunbelt Sheriff Award winner just prior to the Sunbelt cha- Football Championship game. And it was awarded up to uh, Brian Maggard of uh, Louisiana for uh, what that football team has accomplished this year. Not, not, not just on the gridiron, but really in the spotlight, you know, cracking the college football playoff top 25, making regular, being a regular in the AP, uh, having a coach on the team that really seemed to be the darling of the media. I thought they represented the Sun Belt very well. Uh, there were other candidates, of course, uh, that, that, that made a play, but I really feel like Maggard's program right now is at the top of its game. He gets to wear the sheriff's badge. He'll be receiving it within the next week. I'm sure that he's going to put it in his trophy case or actually put it, pin it to his shirt and wear it with pride. The Hellraiser Sunbelt Sheriff Award badge. And that's all I got. And I will say, standing by him Saturday night at the Sunbelt Conference Championship, Yes, he is a fan of his programs and a passionate, vocal person. He seems intense too. And, and, intense and <laughs> but I like the passion. I like the over the topness that he had. I uh, liked it. Uh, okay. Is he a little over the top? No, no, he's fine. He's fine. He's not like, but is he, is he, does he, is he intense? Because the pictures I see him, he's always kind of, you know, like, like just sort of jumping out of his skin almost when. Yeah. I mean, he, he he's, right. he's, he's, He's all about the Cajuns. Okay. Well, he's a good representative. Ben, what do you have? Yeah, man. Uh, as Coach Elton talked about, it's, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're less than two weeks away from the early signing period. The Panthers had 10 official visitors, including several commits. So we're covering uh, who's in, who's out in the uh, 2022 class for Georgia State. Uh, had one power five transfer on the defensive side of the ball in as well. Guy that uh, prepped. 
locally here in Gwinnett County, just north of, the, uh, of uh, Atlanta, uh, covering recruiting. Uh, obviously, the news about the Camellia Bowl, and we'll be breaking down Ball State and how they match up with Georgia State offensively and defensively. And, of course, covering basketball is uh, – you know, after we uh, we talked about the Voorhees College, uh, then up next is Mississippi State uh, trip to Starkville, Mississippi, Stark Vegas. So will be a uh, will be a big trip there for Coach Lanier and the Panthers, hoping to uh, to notch one of those as we aforementioned those high major wins. An SEC victory would certainly look good for the Sun Belt and, and help the entire league. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. Uh, official visits next weekend for the Warhawks as we get ready for the December signing period. Several already on the books and working to find out who else will be on campus, but the Warhawks are limited in scholarships, having Rob Peter to pay Paul this past year. And I mean, it did pay off if, if you saw where the Warhawks were compared to where they should be. So breaking down all of that coverage on warhawkreport.com and then obviously always preparing the show notes for Fun Belt Podcast. Ah, the unheralded, uh, thankless job of show notes from Dusty Thibodeau. Thank you, Dusty, for putting that together for us. Read them. (laughs) I read them with a passion. You read them (laughs) as you delete them. (laughs) Well, guys, for Fun Belt Podcast, Dusty Thibodeau, Warhawk Report, Jeremy Harper, HowRazor.com, Ben Moore of PantherTalk.com. We thank you, and we will see you again next week.